right, good morning. And it's good to have you guys here with us today and uh, ready to uh, worship the Lord. Amen. I know it's cold out there and some of you are probably still a little bit, you know, frozen, but are we uh, ready to uh, worship the Lord? Amen. Exactly. So what, a, what another uh, great uh, opportunity we have on, on another Sunday morning that the Lord has gifted us. Amen. So um, I do want to encourage us, please do not, and I'm telling you it's easy to do, do not ever measure the success of a service or the success of a church by the number of people. Measure it by the growth of your faith when you are here, amen, and what you learn and how you're growing and what God is doing is exactly what we're going to hear uh, one of the songs tell us today, what he's actually how he's working in our lives, amen? So um, today we got an uh, uh, interesting section of the scriptures that, uh, you know, I ran upon it and I thought to myself earlier in the week, man, I'm really going to need to prepare for this one because it's one of those passages of scriptures that can be uh, misinterpreted easily and used and abused uh, to, to scare people, although there is a warning there, Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretty much say that what's happening in this portion of Scripture most likely does not apply to any of us. But it's there. So we're going to look at it uh, uh, this morning. In the meantime, I think we'll really grow in our understanding and in our faith uh, what it is that the Lord has done and what it is that the Lord is doing in our lives, which should encourage us, should give us a sense of security. Uh, God doesn't work like um, randomly. God doesn't work like accidentally. God works intentionally and on purpose. And we need to know that. We need to know that what's happening in our lives is not just um, something that just fell out of the blue and oh, poor me or why is this happening to me or why do I have to live through this because you're human and we all have to live in this world and since we're here the Lord is preparing us primarily for the future right and in order to do so we have to have experiences amen and I can tell you that he is faithful and we're going to look at that today we're going to look at some passages that I think will help us clear our minds about things we can we can relax we can. We can take it easy. In his grace and in his mercy and in his love, there's no fear. Amen? Isn't that nice? No fear, right? So let's pray and let's ask God's blessing today before we start. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for all that uh, you are blessing us with in our lives at the moment and what you're allowing us to pass through and experience and learn and grow. Father, and our prayer is that everything uh, that uh, you bring to us, Father, that we'll always run to you and we'll always realize and acknowledge how much we need you and be thankful, Lord, that you're there, that you're faithful, that you care about us, and that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives, that we don't live in, a, in this world, Lord, uh, when we belong to you randomly. Nothing is a coincidence. Everything is an incident with purpose and intention. And your 
objective is always to allow us to grow so that our faith might be like gold. And that faith that's like gold will keep us and protect us and lead us, Lord, all the way to the finish line. So thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here. We ask your blessing this morning. We ask your uh, protection. We ask you, Lord, to guide us and lead us. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. We're going to have our worship team come and lead us at the time. Good morning, everyone. May you please stand and welcome one another. There's a peace I come to know, though my heart and flesh may fail, there's an anchor for my soul, I can say it is well, Jesus has overcome, and the grace No more sorrow, no more 
will rise on eagle's wings before my God, fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. And I hear the voice of many angels sing, worthy is the Lamb. And I hear the cry of every longing heart, worthy is the Lamb. And I hear the voice of many angels sing, I hear the cry of every longing heart, worthy is the Lamb. And I will rise when he calls my name, no more sorrow, no more pain, I will rise. Before my God, fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. I will rise. Amen. Miracles when you move, such an easy thing for you to do. Your hand is moving right now. You are still showing up at the tomb of every Lazarus. Your voice is calling me out right now. I know you're able. You never lost a battle And I know, I know You never will Everything's possible By the power of the Holy Ghost A new wind it's blowing right now, breaking my heart of stone, taking over like it's Jericho, and my walls are all crashing down. 
Cause right now, I know you're able. My God, come through again. You can do all things. You can do all things, but fail. Cause you never lost a battle. No, you never lost the battle. And I know, I know, you never will. You can do all things. You can do all things but fail. Cause you never lost a battle. No, you never lost a battle. And I know, I know, you never will. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never will. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never will. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never will. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never lost a battle. You never will. You can do all. Can do all things. You can do all. You never lost a battle. And I know, I know, you never will. You can do all things. You can do all things but fail. Cause you never lost a battle. No, you never lost a battle. And I know, I know. You never will, and I know, I know, you never as we welcome the pastor for the word. Do you guys hear me? No. I said I really like that last song. I was just thinking while we were singing it. Oh, and I just want to say hello to everybody. Welcome. Hi. We don't like to embarrass people, but have you been here before? Okay, that's right. I thought I saw you, but you moved. You moved. To, you, you tricked me. You made me. Okay, well, welcome again. Thank you. What was your name? Uh, Christina. Christina, that's right. Okay, I have a niece named Christina. 
I always like to do name associations. So anyway, welcome. Welcome to everyone. Good to have you with us today. Um, I was, it was weird singing that song. I thought to myself, well, it's actually like um, one of his names tells us that he would never lose a battle, and it's, it's the Almighty God, right? Almighty. There's no one more powerful than him. And it's really impossible for him to lose a battle. Because if he did, he wouldn't be God. Isn't that comforting? We'd, we'd have to go searching somewhere else for the one who never loses a battle. You know, sometimes it, for us, it, it, sometimes we, it appears, uh, circumstances sometimes uh, appear that he's lost a battle. Like, for instance, when he was crucified, it, it appeared that he had lost, right? They, they, they finally got him and cruelly crucified him on that cross. But, you know, that was part of his plan. It's actually was not a loss, it was a gain. Because that was what was necessary to secure our salvation. He would go to Calvary's cross to pay for the sins of the world. And he did, and he accomplished it. And he cried out from the cross and said it was finished. So nothing left to do on our part. And then three days later, the resurrection proved so that he actually had won the battle because the Father raised him from the dead. And that which we fear most as humans, death, is now something that he secured for us by giving us life eternal. And it all started because of his resurrection. So as Christians, we always have to keep these things in our minds. That's why it's important for us to pray every day and for us to have some kind of devotional, some kind of encounter with God's word, right? Some study or some devotional or something to keep our minds on the Lord and not on the things around us. So I'm going to have you open your Bibles today, um, and I'm just going to put the passage up on the screen. I'm not even going to bother putting the, the, the words up there today. Uh, I, I want to cover a bunch of stuff, and I thought maybe it might be good for, um, you guys remember the old, those of you that are older, maybe just me, do you remember there's a yellow pages? You guys know what the yellow pages were? That's where you used to go to find phone numbers or businesses. And it has a commercial that used to say, let your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages. In other words, you're looking for something. Well, I'm going to have you let your fingers do the walking through your Bibles today. Okay? I want you to, to look at this passage in Hebrews 6 with me. And we have come upon a particular place that um, historically, and, and for most people, is very concerning. But I'm going to say to you today, don't worry, we got this. Amen? So if you don't mind standing with me, we're going to read from 4 to 12. I know I'm not going to get all the way through 12 to, to verse 12, but um, nonetheless, I wanted to kind of read it in context. So this particular passage, I do like that it, it uh, actually uh, comes after, obviously verse 4 comes after verse 3. Right, But verse 3 says, And this we will do if God permits. Talking about leaving behind basic Christianity. Leaving behind the, the elementary school Christianity and going on and growing in our faith to more profound things of God and experiences with God and, and serve, serving God in a, in a deeper way. You know, that's what he's trying to convince these believers to do. So at verse 4 he says... For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, 
and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and of the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, now I just want to say right from the beginning, I think in our case also, I'm going to say, I don't think this applies to anyone probably in here. So he goes on to say something pretty powerful, and then he goes, hey, uh, you know, Verse 9, though we speak in this way, he's saying, this is hard. This is, this is blunt and direct. And sometimes God's word is like that, and, and it needs to be. But he says, yet in your case, beloved, notice how he changes his tone to more loving and graceful. He goes on to say, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, I'll get into that a little bit later. For God is not unjust, thank goodness he's not, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. That's why I'm saying this doesn't really apply to most of them, but nonetheless it applies to someone. Verse 11, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So let's just pray. Father, bless our time in the word. Bless, our, bless your message. Use me, Lord God, as an instrument to expound and explain and to bring to light, Lord, these truths that we as a church may have a clear understanding and that we may have confidence, Lord God, in, in what it is that you have given us this morning to take and to apply to our lives, knowing, Lord God, that you're working every day that you're with us and you've told us lord that you would never leave us or forsake us and we have that confidence and we know lord god that you're working in a special way now and always and we ask these things in jesus name amen all right go ahead and have a seat so obviously cannot ignore what's being said here in verses four five and six to start off with and that's probably where i'm going to spend most of my time question, uh, if you look at verse 6, because it talks about the impossibility in the case of those who have been enlightened. So there's a case here for someone. Okay, let's just set this. There's a, there's a case here for some group of people this is being written to. Okay, the question is, who are, who are they? And we're going to see that. Who are these people who have been enlightened, they've tasted of the heavenly gift, they have shared in the Holy Spirit, as it says there in verse 4. They also have tasted God's goodness and the word of God and his goodness and of the power of the age to come, right? And then verse 6 says, and then have fallen away. They've, they've fallen away to restore to them again to repentance since they have crucified once again the Son of God to their own harm. 
and upholding him up to contempt. There, there's, he's talking about someone has, someone has left, fallen away, right? They're, it, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. There's no way back. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, who are these people that have fallen away and, and uh, why is it impossible for them to be restored again? That's the question here. That's, that's what we're going to look at for a minute today. Another way to look at this verse would be to say, and some people would do this and have done this as I had studied for this and been around a few years, is that the question would be this. Who are those who could never be saved? That's what it's kind of alluding to. There's a group of people, there's, obviously, why would you be writing to some, about something that were impossible if it wasn't actually unfolding right before the writer's eyes? And what is it that they had done that makes it impossible for them to return or to repent, to come back, right? <laughs> Do I have your attention yet? That's the point of the pen of the writer of their book. It's the shocking passage of Scripture. It alludes to the fact that there's a group of people who, can't, who have fallen, who have slipped, who have slidden away from the faith, right? And uh, it's, it's, um, it's terrifying, actually, but that's, the, that, that's what it's supposed to be, that kind of thing. Uh, is happening and the writer is warning. You know, warnings are important. You ever notice all the warning signs around things nowadays? Because businesses don't want to be sued. Warning. Hot. It's like, well, obviously it's like a, a firing furnace. <laughs> Do not touch. Right? But warnings are good, right? It's like a warning on a, on a bench in a park that has been freshly painted and it says the sign on it, wet paint. And what do we do? We touch it anyway. Oh yeah, it is wet, look. Warning. Warnings are good, God's way of getting our attention and God, God is always trying to keep us from going down the wrong path. Why would he do such a thing? Why would we do such a thing with our kids? Why would any of you that are parents, myself included, why would we tell our kids and warn them about things that, you know, don't cross the street without looking? Well, there's going to be potentially danger for doing such a thing, right? So that's what God's doing through the, the pen of the Hebrew writer, which I think is Paul. He's warning them. But let me just say this, that this particular passage of Scripture is a controversial yeah, it has been debated throughout church history as to exactly who are these people and what did they do. And I can tell you this, the denominations have split over this verse. That's how powerful it is. And then they, God gives me the, the job of having to explain it. I'm not even worried about it. I won't tell you why. Because, thank God, we have here at Crosspoint been going through the whole book from verse 1. And this is one of the things I want to teach you this morning. It's very important that we look at this verse in context. There's a whole story 
behind this and after this that help us to interpret it. So yeah, it's controversial. And if you know anything, and if you study church history, and if you study and you go to Bible schools uh, or a, a, a seminary, this verse in this passage is always going to be discussed. They're always going to bring it up because it talks about a group of people that can fall away. Hmm. I would be concerned. So let's just put it lightly. This is an interpretive challenge. So I have a Bible, not this one, but I do have a Bible where the, the author will go through chapter by chapter and then before the chapter he puts a little section, if there's something potentially controversial or controversial, he'll say interpretive challenges. And then he'll try to break it down to where, hey, you guys are going to run into this. So that's what I'm kind of doing here. There's, there's an a, a interpretation challenge here. But I'm going to tell you the challenge is made and the interpretation is made so much easier when we read it in context. Okay. We're not supposed to like write an email or read an email or a letter or a book and just kind of open the book and randomly go like this and say, battering down the walls and a shouting to the mountains. God bless the message today. They're like, well, what are you talking about? Right? We're supposed to if you get a letter or an email, you're supposed to read the whole thing from the beginning, from the greeting to the, to, the, to the end where the person signs off, right? So one of the easy things that happen in Christianity, I've noticed, is the laziness of wanting to dig and to know what the story is around, the context, why it's there, who it's written to, and then moving beyond that verse to see how it fits. It's like a puzzle, but it's not, because obviously something's missing. So let me say this. We, uh, we believe, and I teach, and thank God for my background as an educator, that interpretation is driven by the context. So what does that mean? It means we arrive to this point of this book with some content Context is driven by the content, right? And it's substantial. There's quite a bit that has been said to this particular point, right? What have we learned so far? There's a whole history here. We've gotten to verse up to chapter 6. And there's a theme here that we've been looking at. And there's a purpose that this letter was written. And, one, and, the, and the bottom line is that the writer of the Hebrew book is trying to convince us and, and, and persuade us that Jesus is superior, and he's writing who, first and foremost? Hebrew Christians. So is anyone here Hebrew? No. So, directly, this has nothing to do with us. But, by default, the heir potentially has something to do with us. We could do and make the same mistake, but this is written to Hebrew Christians. These are written to people who lived in the Old Testament, if you would, before the birth of Christ, before his ministry, before his death, and the New Testament. So these are Hebrew Christians with all their traditions, all their rituals, all their ceremonies, 
all their things that they did before Christ came and before the new covenant was established, the New Testament, right? They had a certain religious way of practicing things, but now all that is ended. And what the writer is trying to say, what we've looked up to this point, is that Jesus is superior to everything. Like what? Like Jesus is superior to all the prophets. Remember, we saw that in chapter 1. He's superior to angels. And angels are a big deal in the Old Testament. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Like Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses was like Israel's savior. If you had a savior, well, he took him out of Egypt, right? So Moses was a big deal. So they esteemed him very high, and they should have. He was a great man of God, and God used him greatly, right? But Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to Joshua, who led him in to conquer the promised land. Jesus is superior, we read, and saw, to the Sabbath. That day of rest where Jesus now is our eternal rest. Not just some day that we rest, but our rest is now in Christ. That's what we learned so far. Jesus, by the way, is the superior high priest. We saw that. He's comes and he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that mysterious priest that Abraham paid tithes to after he had won the battle against these ten kings. He went to... Salem, before it was Jerusalem, and he paid tithes to this mysterious man who was known and considered God's high priest, which is before Aaron, who was the high priest for the children of Israel after they came into the promised land. Aaron was assigned uh, the high priesthood, uh, and so were his sons, the priests in the temple. But Jesus is superior to them because we have Jesus as our mediator. We have Jesus as the one who we can go to. And where does he sit? Not in some temple, but in heaven, making intercession for us. So see how what we see here is the idea uh, for us to first realize that there is nothing superior to Christ. Right? So... I can't just show up here this morning and get to this passage of Scripture and just make something up or use it in a way to, to I'm going to really, man, I, today I want to really put the fear of God in the congregation. These guys haven't been acting right. <laughs> man, I've been looking at, I've been watching you guys. I'm going to really scare the weebie-jeebies out of you. That's not what I can do. I can't just take a verse and then try to use it or abuse it to fit or to uh, somehow motivate some behavior out of you. No, let's look at it. Let's see. We know up to this point that these people that had become Christians that were once Jews were actually contemplating going back to the old system. So that's the context. And the author is saying, no, 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 Jesus is superior so I just can't make stuff up. We have to let it tell us what it tells us, where it tells it. I can't have some kind of pre-meditated uh, favorite theological doctrine that I might have that is convenient and comfortable for me, and so that's what I'm going to share or tell you. No, let's just see what it says and why it says it. So again, we also have the whole Bible to look at when we're making interpretive Challenges. What do I mean by that? Nothing is isolated 
If I can't find another place in the Bible where there's an example or where there's another passage that says the same thing and, and affirms other things and they're tied together, then I, I don't have the right to be able to create some kind of a theological position or principle, right? Like, for instance, remember the guy that was blind when Jesus ran into him and Jesus decided... But this blind man, whose father was a member of the synagogue, that he was going to be merciful to him. So he, he, he touched his eyes and healed him. But do you remember what he did before he did it? He spit in the mud and made a little, like, clay. And he stuck it in his eyes. And then all of a sudden, the man opened his eyes and could see, and there's Jesus in front of him. And all of a sudden... He runs off in this, this amazing new opportunities of life because now he has vision. And everybody knows that he was blind since he was a child. And now they want to know how this happened. And so, of course, the parents were challenged by the priests and the, and the leaders of the synagogue to explain it. And then, of course, the parents knew that they, would, they were opposing Jesus, these leaders, the religious leaders of the time. So they said, hey, you ask him. He's of age. He's of age. Why do you want to put us in the middle? And so they go to him and say, Hey, uh, young man, how is it that you see? Explain this to us. And he goes, I don't know. All I know is that I was once blind, and now I see. And the first thing I see is this man, Jesus. But that doesn't give me the right then. Here's what I'm trying to get at. The, all of a sudden, we're changing the name of Cross Point from Cross Point Community Church to Mud in your eyes, church. We're all going to now, you see what I'm saying? I can't just take one thing and create a whole doctrine out of it. Yeah, Jesus, for whatever reason, chose to spit into the earth, most likely painting a picture for us of what he did when he created Adam out of the dust of the earth, out of nothing. Out of nothing, the one we serve is able to heal. But that doesn't allow me the liberty as a pastor or as a person, uh, a Christian, to take one incident and create a whole doctrine out of it. Do you see what I'm talking about? Interpretive challenges. I have to have other places in the scriptures that confirm, that affirm, that verify the way that God works. So we have to be careful and that's not what has happened throughout the church history. Okay, I, I'm done with my introduction. How's, how, how are we doing so far? Okay, so. So to whom and why was this written? So I'm going to try to answer these questions. And of course, th by answering them, my objective is that you would learn about God's amazing grace. So let me say this first. In 2 Peter 3.9... He writes this. You don't have to go there. I'm going to run through a bunch of passages. Just if you want to, you can write it down and then look it up later. And if you really, really want to get serious, I can send you my whole sermon. I'll just print it for you. It says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. People were arguing to the apostle Peter about how come the Lord hasn't come yet since you guys always talk about Jesus is coming. And he says, well... God's not slow to fulfill it, but rather the reason God has not come yet, the reason the second coming hasn't occurred yet in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, is that he is patient toward us. 
The reason the Lord hasn't appeared yet and come in his second coming yet is because he's patient toward us. And what's he waiting on? It says, he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So I could use first before I get into anything that has to do with interpreting this whole thing about there's a group of people that fall away. Let me tell you this, that God's desire is that no one perishes. Okay? He wants everyone to come to repentance. See, this is a problem a lot of times when we talk about these types of issues where, oh my God, there's people that are going to fall away. Yeah, but that's not what God wants. Which also leads us now into another question. Do these people have a choice? Apparently so. He's waiting for them. If he didn't have a choice, why would he wait? Just make them believe. I'm going to make you believe today. I'm going to come down there, Maria, and I'm going to take your arm, and I'm going to put it up behind you, and I'm going to violently convert you. Well, that's not what he's trying to do. That's coercion. We've been given free will. The reason God hasn't returned yet is because we're really, really slow to act in faith, and there are people that he wants to come. And thank God he didn't come in 1974, before 1974. You guys are probably thinking, what happened back then? No, that was way back then when I was a tiny little thing. But I knew and I came to know Christ as my Savior as a young boy. Thank God he didn't come before 1974. Thank God, what day did you, or what date or what year did you come to Christ? Thank God he didn't come before that. What I'm trying to say is, first and foremost, I think we need to establish that the God, God is long-suffering and He's loving toward everyone and wants them to be saved, right? And every day as He tarries, as He waits to come, more people are getting saved and more people are coming to Christ. Isn't that good news? That's who He is. He's a loving, patient God, not wanting anyone to perish. But let me also preface this, that at the same time that God does not wish or want anyone to perish, he also knows that not everyone will come to repentance. See, as Christians, I think sometimes we just need to settle that fact right away. See, that way you're not fighting with people. They're either coming and they're either ready or they're not. You don't have to get nasty. You don't have to be threatening. You just plant the seed, smile, and let God do the work. Not my job. I don't even know how he reached me. I just know he did. Like the man that was blind. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once lost, but now I'm saved. He opens our eyes. And when he does, we know it. Because there's no doubt that if you once lived in darkness, but now you live in light, you'll know it. There's no doubt that when we once accepted certain evil things as the normal practice of our life, that he opened our eyes to the truth, and now we hate those things. It's no doubt in my mind, for me, that there was once a time when I could care less about this book or God. I was busy living la vida loca. Weren't you? 
before he found you? Some of you still are. I'm sorry, that's too easy to say. I just know that I didn't care about this book or what God had to say. But now I do. Some work occurred, as we sang about. He's working. Been working, still working, going to continue working. We're not here just because. We're here because he wants you here. And you responded by faith in a loving, self-determined way. You chose to come. Now the Lord knows how to put pressure, and let's not kid ourselves, to move us in directions that are best for us. There's just so much to be said, and I can't even get out of the first verse. I was worried about that, but now I feel comfortable because I see how God is talking to us. So let me just say this. Number one, we know that God is not willing that any should perish. Is everyone clear on that based on the verse we saw in, in um, what, where is that? 2 Peter 3.9? But let me also, and as we realize that, you know, God doesn't want anyone to perish. Of, of course not. Uh, and he's waiting for all of them to repent. But he also, God knows that not everyone will repent. And look at what 1 John 2.19 says. So I'm kind of using bookends. I'm going from one extreme to the other. So God's not desiring that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Then he says something interesting here. This is uh, in John's uh, little epistle, 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us. So there was a group of people in this church that John was writing to that one day left. They're like, do you know anything about that kind of stuff? After all too well. I know about people that leave. Sad. I've been here 17 years. I don't even want to try and write a list. But I have accepted, just as 1 John 2.19 reads, they went out from us, but they were not of us. This is what the apostle, the beloved apostle John wrote, in his old age, to this church that there were a group of people that went out from them and they, because they were not of them. Huh. For if they had been of us, so then he uses the logic. Well, if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. Ah, uh, hello, duh. <laughs> right? They left because they were not of, of us, but, because, but if they had been of us, they would have continued. So the word continue, get your, I don't know, I thought I had my pen up here. I left it down there. Oh, there it is. I want to grab it. Because I actually go back and write notes in my own sermon. And see this still now. It's interesting. It would have continued. So continuing, here we go. Here's the first very important point. If you're continuing with the Lord day by day since the day you started walking, you don't need to be worrying about this. Because if you, let me put it this way, if you could care less if you fall away or not, that means you just don't care. It, it, you kind of manifest itself. It just kind of reveals itself. That's why patience is so important of us of 
Christians, when we come upon decisions in life, we kind of have to let God work it out and see, because once you commit something to him, it'll just happen when it happens. Or not. So they continue. If they had continued, they would not have left. But then he says, but they went out that it might be plain. Notice it. That it might be plain or evident that they were not of us. So the fact that they departed from the faith demonstrates clearly that they were never part of it. That's what I think he's saying. It's plain that they were not of us. And he's not talking about just the group, like the local congregation. He's talking about the body of Christ. So, the Lord's not willing that any should perish but that all come to him in repentance. But the Lord also, through John, reveals to us that there are some who are with us, apparently. They're participating and they're here. And I don't know how long. That could be a year. It could be a month. It could be, I don't know, whatever. But somehow, some way, they don't continue. So this particular doctrine... Uh, some have come to identify within the thoughts of Calvin, which is perseverance. The whole idea that the, the true believer continues and per perseveres. Why? Because God is with us, and if God be with us, who could be against us? We're going to keep going. You might run into tra trains, and you might sink to the bottom of the ocean, and uh, I don't know, uh, hail might fall out of heaven and knock you down. But guess what you do? You get back up. See, that's the thing that I'm trying to lead to at this point. You're still here. That's huge. And how many of you have been walking with the Lord for five years? Raise your hand. How many have been walking with him for 10? How many have been walking with him for more than 20? You're still here. Do not ever take that lightly the fact that you're still interested the fact that you're still hungry the fact that you're still thirsty the fact that you still want to listen and you're concerned about growing and learning about him not just you know we're not here to learn about watches kind of got a new hobby lately i've been buying these watches used and i'm learning so much about them i'll tell you another story about those later some other day I'm fascinated by the, the craftsmanship and the engineering and the details. Okay, I'll just share it with you real quick. So my idea is this. If I can look at something sitting on my watch and realize the beauty of it and the, mar the engineering marvel that this is, I have to accept that there was an architect or a designer or an engineer, a creator of this watch that's precise and accurate. But what about the wrist it sits on? Who's the creator of that? And now since the wrist is connected to the elbow and the elbow is connected to the shoulder, the shoulder is connected. Well, you know what I'm saying? But what about the creator of you? Are you a little bit curious? What, you think you just randomly came into existence? Man, no, they didn't. Because this watch didn't randomly. And something so really ins insignificant as a watch is in the grand scheme of the universe. Believe me, you... Your life, life itself, 
is the creation of an intelligent being. And we know him, and he's revealed who he is through this book. That's why we're here. So that's the story about the watch. But that's also telling us that he's telling us that there are those who will not continue. There's a group of people that won't continue because they never were part of us. We'll get more a little bit into that, but let me show you another passage. There's a passage in John chapter 6, verses 59 through 71. And I really don't want to get into reading the whole thing because it's going to chew up a lot of my time. Speaking of time, I got a little bit left. But it's in John 6, not 1 John, but just the Gospel of John, 59 through 71. And this, these are people that were following Jesus during his ministry that left. They were following Jesus. And so Jesus was once in a synagogue and he was teaching about some difficult things. Basically, he was teaching them about the fact that he would die and then uh, he would be crucified and then he would raise from the dead. But then he was also saying to his disciples that they would have to put their trust in him. And what he was basically saying and what he was communicating is that he was the Messiah, the one that God had sent, the one that the Old Testament had spoken about. And some people found it offensive and they began to grumble and mumble and they thought it was, this is just too difficult to understand. I don't, it is difficult to understand that Jesus is asking for a commitment from you. It is difficult to understand when you've lived your life for yourself, and here comes a man that's saying, no, if you want eternal life, you've got to live your life for me. You've got to surrender to me, because I'm Lord. And they don't want to. They find it hard. And so what happened here in verse number 64 of John chapter 6 there were some of you who do not believe. For, the Jew, for Jesus knew from the beginning who were those who did not believe. And who it was that would betray him. So even know about Judas. There was one in his own camp. One of his own, 12, of the 12 disciples. There was one who would leave him. And he knew it from the beginning. And yet he allowed him to follow him. So Judas participated in everything that the, all the other disciples participated in explaining to us what we're reading in Hebrews 6, that they were enlightened, that they had tasted of the glory of God, that they had been terpissed. You could be in the middle of us. You could be in church for 20 years. That doesn't make you a Christian. And you look like one of us. You even start, people even start to act like one of us. Let me, get, let me finish this part. Because I want to lay some ground so that we're not rattled and more so that we're secure. And the very fact that you're even interested in listening to me at all today is proof that this is not really about you. Unless there's something else going on in your heart that I don't know about. But God does. He sees. That's the beauty of the relationship that's personal. We're not, talking, we're not religious in that what we go perform a few traditions or rituals and ceremonies and then we're done and I, we're, I did my bit as a Christian. No, this is a personal relationship from the heart and God sees it. And God knows what's really going on there. That's what we preach. That's why they left. Because it was getting too personal. Too much of a commitment was being required. Wow. 
So he said to them, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So Jesus established it that no one would be here unless the Father allowed it. That no one comes to him except the Father brings him. Isn't that encouraging? That God touched your life and your heart so that you could respond to the good news of the gospel. And that's why you're here. Because you too, like me, can say there was probably a time in your life where you could care less about the things of God. So the fact that you care or even took the energy and the time to get ready to come here and to listen to me, which I'm nothing special, but the word is that I'm preaching, that you would even care means that, hey, that's something really, really amazing. That's a miracle. And so many of the disciples turned back, verse 66. Uh, and it's easy to remember this passage, John 6, 66. What happened? Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, wow, we left everything to follow you when you're now asking us if we want to leave. No, who are, and it's the correct answer. It's the most amazing of answers. It's the same answer that I would give to the Lord now on my journey with him for some 40 years. Where am I going to go? I know there's nothing back there. I left it. It was miserable. It was empty, destructive, and dark. Where am I going to go? Lord, let me keep walking with you. I, I want to stay. Don't you say that? Don't you cry that out? I know I'm not worthy. I, I know I mess up. I know I make mistakes. I know I fluff things up. I know, uh, man... I just want to keep walking with you. I don't want to leave. I know, I know I'm a dork, Lord, but thank you for accepting me. I know sometimes I'm difficult. Do I see what's happening? That's what's happening. You either continue with them or you don't. That's it. But we make it more difficult than that. We've got to have all kinds of rationale. And no, you either continue with them or you don't. And if you are with them, it's because he brought you. Many are called, but few are chosen. Who are the chosen? The ones that believe and the ones that continue. The ones that don't leave. Yeah. Simon Peter said to him in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So those who struggled with Jesus' words were those simply who did not believe. Because Jesus requires faith. And I've taught this church for 17 years and going on more, that faith is always action. You can't say you believe something if you don't act on it. Just like you can't say you believe in anything in this life and then don't act on it. Oh, I believe the brakes in my car work, but there you are getting ready to go into a wall, but you're not going to push the brakes. Well, then you don't believe the brakes work. Or when you stick a, 
a card or a letter in the mail with a stamp on it, you actually believe that the system, the mail service, because it has a postage and an address, is actually going to get to the address and its destination. Why would you bother even putting it in the box if you didn't believe in that system and in the U.S. Postal Service? But God is saying to you, just like you put your trust and your confidence in so many things in this life, what I'm saying is, I want you to put your trust in me. I want you to totally confide in me. Yeah, they left. Will you? Is what he was telling them. So he turns to the 12 and he says, hey, guys, are you leaving too? <laughs> it's about right here where I think I'm going to end. He says, in my words, are you staying or are you going? The choice is yours. You're free to make it. Are you staying or are you leaving? You know, Peter's answer was appropriate, and he was speaking for all of them. In the Gospels, when Peter speaks, he's usually a representative of all the rest of the apostles. And he says, like he said there, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Peter acts in faith for the, all the rest, and he speaks for all the rest, except for one of them, which was Judas. And it was mentioned there. So who are those who have fallen away? I'm still back to the very principle of this whole message. And why is it impossible for, to be restored again? Right? Well, I'll start with this just develop it a little bit, and then we're going to call it a day. First and foremost, those who fell away are those who put themselves in an impossible situation. They put themselves there, not the Lord. So there's no fear of the Lord in this. Like, oh my God, God, God's good. No, he's never going to push you away. He's always pushing you toward him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are many verses that says that no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. No one. So if someone leaves, it was their choice. And they put themselves in a situation that was impossible because that's what the scriptures that we had read said. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible for the, in the case of those who would once been enlightened. So they had the teaching. They once tasted of the heavenly gift and they shared it in the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the goodness of the word of God. They knew God's word. They had seen God's power through the Holy Spirit evident and they knew his goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, right? And I'm going to tell you and I'm going to leave it right at the end of this. Those with whom had fallen away were the ones who put themselves in this impossible situation. What was the impossible situation? They're the ones who were thinking about going back to the old religion and the inferior things of the temple. They're the ones who insisted on returning to a, and what the old covenant represented was a works-based religion. A religion where you gain points and somehow believe that God will accept you. And those are the ones that were trying to go back to the law, back to the temple, back to the priests, back to the, 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 
the swooping robes and the incense and uh, all the altars and the animal sacrifices. That's the problem. If you go back to that which is inferior, then it's impossible to be saved because you left the one who could. You see how easy it is? You left the superior one, Jesus. It's like tripping over a dime. Right? You're going to let a dime cause you to stumble to pick up a $100 bill. <laughs> Kick the dime out of the way and go get the 100 Instead, what they do, they leave money on the table to go to something impoverished, something ineffective. The law in the Old Covenant could not save. That's why Jesus came. Do you see what happened? They insisted on returning to that work-based salvation and a relationship with God based on merits instead of them understanding that salvation is something unmerited, that Jesus secures salvation through the cross for us, the finished work of the cross, and our duty and our job is simply to believe what he's already done. It's done. We just accept it or don't. Instead. By to the fact that they had, and they knew the difference, they went back, or they were thinking of it. So, let's not go back to where we came from. In their case, it's to the temple, to the incense, to the priests, to the animal sacrifices. Back to those simple things that the Bible in Colossians tells us were simply shadows and figures of Christ. That Christ is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. So he's superior to everything in the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. Why would he even want to even try and go back to the old ways? Now, we're not Hebrews, so how does this apply? Whatever your life was before, whatever you, whatever you worshipped, whatever you made a priority in your life, whatever that is, it can't save you. And you've come to know the difference. So I'm going to do this. I'm just going to stop right here. And guess what we're doing next week? Part two. Because I still got a lot of notes. But God is good, isn't he? I don't want to go back to my previous life. And I made that decision a long time ago. Although sometimes that previous life creeps up on us, doesn't it? You just got to smash it back down. We need to keep moving forward and know that it's Jesus only. That's really the message. It's Jesus only. Or I could put it like an equation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again, Lord, for your tender mercies and loving kindness. Thank you for your word and thank you for the fact that we can learn to interpret these challenging passages through the context of your word and through 
what you already have shown us in the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have called us and we have heard your voice. Thank you, Father, that you've given us that grace to be able to say yes, to respond by faith, even if it's a faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all that matters. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you continue to, in spite of ourselves. Thank you for our hope. Thank you, Lord, for our future. No matter what goes on around us, the noise, the chaos, it doesn't hinder what you're doing. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us, Lord, if I got this right, help us to continue Help us to persevere, hold on to our hand, and thank you for the hope, Lord, that you'll take us to the finish line, and we just give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen.